Law, Policy, and Markets. I'm Alan Marks. Today, I'm joined by Millbank partner Henry Scott and associates Nick DeHaas and Lucy Stanley, all from the firm's Global Project, Energy, and Infrastructure Finance Group, based in Los Angeles. And I thought during our book club discussion of the book, it led to a really interesting conversation about assimilation and imposter syndrome and what that means for Nikta and I as first-year attorneys. Let's get to it. For all the gains that come from working remotely using the most modern technology for conferencing and video calls, we still lose a certain amount of spontaneity. The sheer fun of just hanging out and seeing people in the office and talking about things other than work sometimes during the day. How do you recreate that sense of community? How do you get to know each other when you're all stuck on a Zoom call all day? Well, for us, one answer was to form a book club in our Los Angeles Project Finance Group. With me today are a few of the founding members of our book club, Henry Scott, Nick DeHaas, and Lucy Stanley. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to get together today, each of you. It's a real pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So we have this book club, which started in the middle of a pandemic. So we've had to meet by Zoom. We haven't been able to be in person yet, although I hope that we are soon. And there's a little bit of a disagreement, right, about the origin story of where this idea for the book club came from. Lucy, what's your memory of that? Well, I try to give Henry credit, but he keeps trying to give me credit. So I think the real origin story is that it was Henry's idea, but I piped up a little too enthusiastically and accidentally got myself made a organizer of the book club. (laughs) But I have been in charge of a couple other book clubs, so offered to sort of organize our project finance book club. and, And here we are. Why a book club? Why do that? Why not do something else? We all, I mean, seriously, we all have lots of work we're doing for our clients. We're all very busy. One would not think we actually have time to leisurely read good books. And yet it's been a lot of fun to get together doing this. Why a book club? It's particularly important to find time and to make space for using your mind outside of the work space. And we've been blessed with some really interesting selections. And I've found if it's reading at night before bed, or if it's listening to an audiobook on a walk outside, that that time in this difficult time has been especially rewarding. And that it's been very nice to have an opportunity to share some thoughts with coworkers that aren't about legal documents or deals that are closing and, and get to know people and their perspectives on the works that we've read. Nikta, you're a relatively new lawyer compared to Henry. And, you know, a a good chunk of your legal career so far has been during a pandemic on Zoom. Has the book club been a fun way to get to know people apart from working together on deals? Yes, I think so. I think the book club is probably maybe the only Zoom where there's not pretty much a single mention of any deal. What I liked about the book club is I do really feel like it, it is a completely, even though it is with coworkers, it feels very separate from work, which I very much appreciate because usually when you're around your coworkers, you always kind of go back to work. That's true. That's true. Lucy, you're in other book clubs. How is this one different? I think in my other book clubs, similar to what Nikta was saying, they're with people who I sort of was friends with, have other interests in common with outside of work. And this is the first book club that I've been a part of where 
we came together because we are colleagues. And so it is really the primary external thing we have in common. We probably would not be in a book club were it not for work. And so it does give you something else to talk about besides work. So let, let's look at some of the books that we've done. And what I like about it, and I think, Lucy, this was your rule, that we go around and each person will pick a book once. And we we obviously, there's other people in the book club besides just the four of us. So we haven't gone through everyone yet. The newest book, I have not had time to read it. And I know we're not going to get together here for several more weeks. But Nikta, you picked our current book, Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro, his latest. I've heard wonderful things about the book. I know one of the themes in it is this idea of overcoming alienation and finding love. And I won't give too much away, but in the in, in a sense where one has to grasp what is it to be human versus to be an artificial friend and what is it to be separate. And we're intermediated here through this digital technology, and yet we're all human and we're all friends. Why did you pick that book? I saw the word dystopia and I was immediately interested. I think dystopias are very interesting, especially with the technology and how it's evolving. So I have just started the book and I'm really loving it so far. But I do think it is interesting. I always, when I see a movie with a dystopia or read about it, I always kind of think about, especially I think 1984, right? That was a dystopia and now we're past 1984. So I always find it interesting to think, what will our future be? And as I read it, I will be interested interested to see what happens because I do think like robotics is going to take on a much bigger role during my lifetime. I want to stay with that for a second because dystopia attracts you. Is technology something that helps us solve or a bomb that prevents us from being in a dystopian society or is technology to blame for dystopian societies? I definitely think it is to blame because I think for a dystopia to be successful, you need the technology whether it was Big Brother and here, we'll see what happens, but there is an artificial sense to it. But without technology, there is it's kind of two ends of the, the spectrum. So if there is no technology, I guess that is a dystopia in itself. But when I think of a dystopia, I think of technology for sure. Now, another book that we read had to do with, maybe maybe it's not a dystopia, maybe it's the depiction of today's world but there are some ways that people are not very kind to each other. And we have to grapple with that, especially when people come from diverse backgrounds and are not accepted for their own humanity. And so, Lucy, I want to talk to you about a book that you picked for us by Charles Yu, a fiction book called Interior Chinatown. Tell us a bit about that and, and why you picked it. Someone sent me that book as a recommendation, someone whose taste I trust. We often enjoy and read the same books. And he sent it to me and was like, oh, Charles Yu is a former uh, recovering uh, big law lawyer <laughs> turned author. And he's, I think he was a writer on, on Westworld, speaking of dystopia. But I chose the book because I thought at the time we hadn't read any sort of traditional fiction. And I think this is a really good example of topical contemporary fiction. It was on a lot of sort of bestseller lists around the same time that there was sort of fervent discussion around stopping hate and discrimination against Asians and Asian Americans. And I thought that it would be a good book to choose to sort of have some some of those discussions with people who, you know, at work, it's not like we're 
focused on having those conversations in the hallway. So, or the virtual hallway, I suppose. But I thought it would be a nice way to dive into a different, both kind of read for us and also a conversation that was important and worth having. Yeah. And, and it was, I'm really glad you picked that book. I mean, it, it's actually a funny book in a lot of ways, but it's a very biting satire. And this use that he has, he, he tells some of it in the form of a script for a television show with a black cop and a white cop and this Asian character. He's an extra on the show, which is filmed in the, in the restaurant in Chinatown as it develops and as people break character, but stay within the script format in the book, you really do see this impact on him as he's learning what it is to have his own identity and to create a family without being limited by the stereotypes that were not just placed on him, but that he actually kind of adopted and I wouldn't say lived up to, but lived down to. So this kind of tension between assimilation and authenticity in the immigrant experience and in successive generations descended from immigrants. That was very, it was a poignant book. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I thought during our book club discussion of the book, it led to a really interesting conversation about assimilation and imposter syndrome and what that means for Nikta and I as first year attorneys and sort of the feelings that you have trying to assimilate in a space that you're not entirely comfortable in or not entirely sure that you fit into yet. So I think it was one of those moments that it was very full circle for me. It was sort of being able to discuss the imposter syndrome within the book and then also the imposter syndrome that I feel at work and sort of ways that that's valid and ways that I, Nikta and I can both sort of work on that and feel more confident and feel like we have a role to play and one that's important. Yeah. And for you, Lucy, or for you, Nick, either one, having read that book and discussed it in a group with with the rest of us, does imposter syndrome, does the experience of it change? Does the ways to deal with it change? When I was reading the book, I didn't connect it to work. I thought it was really interesting that Lucy connected it to work because I thought more about my parents when reading it since my parents are immigrants were my thoughts when I was reading the book. So I thought it was actually really interesting when Lucy brought up imposter syndrome in the workplace because it made a lot of sense. And I think our discussion about the book shaped more of my understanding and how I should deal with imposter syndrome. How did the conversation change it more than the book itself? I mean, it is helpful to have a partner tell you, you know, don't feel like an imposter. That an imposter syndrome is that you don't feel like you belong. And when a partner is telling you, yes, you're doing well, that does have a significant effect. Yeah. And you're doing well, you're doing wonderful. All of, Every one of the, the folks in our group, I think that resonates. I, and by the way, no matter how much experience one has, if we're pushing ourselves in new situations, especially in a high profile job where you're advising clients on things that are very important and very complicated, we can all feel that way at times. I think that's certainly the case. Henry, you picked our only nonfiction book so far. The Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. And I want to say, I, I knew of this topic and the way he he discusses the U.S. Air Force and the British Air Force and you know, General Curtis LeMay and, and the others during World War II and these decisions about not just the efficacy of bombing, but the morality of mass bombing and firebombing of Tokyo and other Japanese cities and before that of European cities through Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, which I've, which I've enjoyed. But reading the book was different. Why did you pick that book for us? 
unfortunately, I, I don't know if I have a great origin story for that other than the algorithm knows that I like history and books and podcasts by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. But I did appreciate how the book did go pretty deeply into questions of moral complexity. And that's another interest of mine also. So Henry, when you when you look at the discussion we had about that, because we talked a lot about morality with the book as kind of a launching point, what surprised you? It was interesting to me how philosophical the, the conversation got and how quickly it got to sort of deep moral questions and how the group sort of shared some of their deeply held moral convictions. It took me back to my days in philosophy as an undergrad and how we grapple with those big questions that are pertinent to our daily lives also. It was good to have that discussion and to have that discussion with, with colleagues was unique and, and not something that I'd done before. So that was really great. Lucy, what's your takeaway from the variety of the books that we've had? One of the best things about being in a book club is that you are forced to read books that you would never pick up. Alan, I was going to say, I'd like to hear why, uh, why you chose your book. But I think that you know the book that you chose, which is a book of narrative poetry, which I'll let you say more about, but I, I would never have picked that up. I'm, I've not read poetry, really. It's, and I read, I read a lot of fiction. And I really, really enjoyed your pick. And I think we as a group have a wide spectrum of like personal and professional interests. And so that leads to sort of a wide spectrum of book choices. That's really interesting. It forces me to read things that I would not pick up in a bookstore or order online. It's funny, you know, the book that I picked, which you're right, was uh, two long narrative poems by one of my favorite authors, Jimmy Santiago Baca. It's called Martin and Meditations on the South Valley. And I had previously read his Black Mesa poems but I thought this was better for our, our group because through the poetry, it tells a long story of this now man who is reminiscing of his experience growing up abandoned in Albuquerque and in, and in rural New Mexico, where he, as he calls himself, is a detribalized Apache, Mestizo, who's bumping up against all these different cultures, trying to figure out what his own identity is and how to create and build a family and discovers poetry. And the author had a very troubled, similar childhood. It's sort of semi-autobiographical and had gone to prison for some serious crimes where he learned to write and where he became a poet. And now, many decades later, is a very established, well-respected poet in the Southwest. But this, this interplay of personal identity, of family and community, this desire to be creative in a way to discover your own story and to find your voice and then share it in a way that's responsible and breaks some of the bad patterns that we've inherited from the past, I just found it very powerful. The other reason I picked it for our book club, to be honest, is that it was relatively short. And as busy lawyers, I wasn't sure how much time we'd have, and we wanted to get more people to participate you know, in the group. I really enjoyed the opportunity to read some passages together on the poetry front. It was, uh, that was fun for me and enjoyable to, to hear people pick specific passages that that caught their attention. And there are so many of those that really speak or sing to you with the lyrical form. It, it was very interesting to see what people picked up on and, and what sort of spoke to everyone differently, because there were things that, Henry, I remember you read a passage aloud that I didn't really think think twice about, but it was very nice. They say that reading fiction builds empathy in a way that mm -hmm 
reading nonfiction or staring at our phones, looking at the headlines or reading contracts and proofreading documents in, I know, in our legal practice, <laughs> just kind of doesn't really do. And I, I know for me, just coming away from our conversations, that reawakening and sparking that, that side of personalities is really an important way of being human. Agree. One of the difficulties or complications to me of this book club has been there sometimes can be a bit of a lag time by when we read the book and then have the book club. <laughs> and, so would, and, and that's a function of us all being busy lawyers, but it can mean that it's been a couple of weeks or months since you've, you've read or picked up the book and you need like a little refresher course uh, right before you jump on the, on the call to talk about it. But it actually can be in a sense helpful because it reminds you of the lesson that you learned or the thoughts that you had some time ago. So that act of regrouping and reflecting back can be helpful, but it can also pose a challenge to, to talk intelligently about a book that even in a few weeks' time can seem like a distant memory. So how would we know when our book club gets too big? I, we aren't yet. I mean, we have a number <laughs> of other associates that are involved. We have, even have a former summer associate who's now taking the bar this summer, who's going to be joining a, um, the firm as a lawyer in the fall, but he's already been interested in the book club. How do we know when we have too many people to make it function as well as it currently does? Because it's right now very open. There's a lot, there's lots of back and forth. I think when people feel like they don't have the time or space to speak adequately and say what they want to say about the book, time will tell. I think so far we've struggled to get as many members as we had originally hoped. Nikta, let me ask you, using our book club as an example, in a workplace, how do you define community? I think as a community, it's kind of, oh, just using synonyms here, I guess, that's a team. So everyone has different roles, but you're all working together, usually with one goal. I think within the firm, there's a lot of different communities. I think Lucy is also in charge of Jigale, which is an important community in itself. Yeah, and it's interesting. The diversity of backgrounds, the diversity of points of view. I know a couple of you brought that up when we were talking about one of the books, and there's very different response that we had to it. We were seeing, I guess, Lucy, you saw imposter syndrome and Nikta, you were were more focused on the immigrant experience of the parents in the book. But Lucy, if you look at that, we we haven't had any arguments yet. And I don't think it's a lack of passion, but we also don't have all, we don't all have the same points of view either. Is part of the community forming a safe space to have those kinds of expressions of different points of view? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, I... And not particularly introverted, but I would never feel comfortable necessarily pushing back forcefully about something work-related to a partner, I don't think. Not at this stage in my career. But with book club, I don't think I would have any problem going toe-to-toe with Alan or <laughs> But it, you know, I think it, it does build your confidence in having, having these types of discussions and having a little more confidence in just your rapport, building your rapport with partners or with the senior associates who are in book club and even the mid-level associates and other juniors. It's a really nice way to sort of express your differing views. So I'm sure there's an argument coming. Everyone's very passionate about book club, but uh, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be <laughs> a spirited yeah, sure. discussion. <laughs> just just wait until we start talking about our artificial friends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and on that note, Henry, how do you check your privilege at the door? How do you park hierarchy or become more aware of it and therefore... You know, I don't think that's really been an issue in our book club. I think it, it had a I don't either, but that could be my blind spot talking. Start. <laughs> that could be a blind spot <laughs> no, that we I, have. I mean, I, I very well could be, but I think that because it was so organic, 
and everyone wanted to be a part of this community. And, and the way that it got off with thoughtful sharing and expression of people's experience with stories and reading and books and moral dilemmas, that it just naturally had a very democratic and egalitarian basis. I don't think that there was necessarily any type of hierarchy where people felt any difficulty. And I was thinking about the format of the actual book club itself. And it's, there's a book chosen by a member of the book club. But other than that, there's not, there's not like a prescribed formula for the conversation about the book either. In that way, that it's also organic, meaning that the conversation can meander. Sometimes we read passages. Sometimes we talk about what struck people as themes. And no one has been shy to jump in in our book club. And that's really a testament to its ability to bind people together in this, this little community that we have. It's nicely said, Henry. Lucy, let me ask you, too, if you think the choice of books has helped, because there is one common thread that runs through all of them, which is this emphasis on our shared humanity in all of its colors and all of its guises. We're all just human, for the most part, just trying to do the best we can. Is that relevant? I think that says a lot about our book club members, if we give ourselves (laughs) a little pat on the back. (laughs) No, I mean, I think maybe it says more about what we as people have been thinking about in the last 18 months than anything else. Regardless, I think it has that common theme has has spurred some really interesting discussions. So I have no doubt that that will continue on as a theme. I guess we'll see what Mox chooses next month. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Either way, we're going to have someone who's not a member of this conversation, but he's in our book club is going to be picking an original core member. We'll be picking Mm -hmm. the next book and I have no idea what he's going to pick. No pressure. No pressure. The code of 1986. (laughs) (laughs) But first, we have to meet next and discuss Nick DeSoto. Very good. I really appreciate not just sharing today all about it, but just also the work you guys have put into organizing this and yanking us out of our day to day, 24 7 job and taking the blinders off and reminding us that we're all in this kind of together. It's been a lot of fun. Mm hmm. I want to thank Lucy for putting all the running it and organizing it and ordering the books. I know she's busy well, actually, with other items. So, so Nick, that's actually a good point. Ordering the books. We have all chosen to read these books in their physical format. And yeah. I personally am partial to hardcover books. And I know, Henry, you mentioned audiobooks and uh, I admit I, I've listened to a couple on um, audio format on a walk. Do you think that impacts the way that we relate to the literature that we're reading? And the way we share it? I definitely do. I mean, I and I think for me, if I don't like the narrator's voice, I have to switch to hard copy. But if, <laughs> if I like the narrator's voice, I love listening to audiobooks. I'm constantly listening to audiobooks, whether it be in a car or on a walk. So I can get through content very quickly. And being a busy lawyer and multitasking, whether it's in a car or on a walk, is how I've really been able to Touch, but I but I agree. I mean, it's it's different, and and it's sometimes you have to go back to the hard copy, but at the same time, I think that an audiobook can be an amazing way to access literature. Also, I say for so, me personally, the fact that I I'm on either conference calls or you know Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams, whatever the platforms are, you know, it's it's a very auditory rich work environment all day and into the evening. And if I'm relaxing with music or podcasts or thing, that's still in my ears, and the act of reading 
physically sitting down and using my eyes to read the words, I think it does change my experience of the book and what I take from it and the ability to reread it or to circle back to something that I wanted to kind of, you know, echoes back you know, in the book. It relaxes me in a very different way, I think, than if I were listening to the audiobook. That's just me, just personally. You know, I feel the same way versus a physical book versus whatever. You have an iPad, a Kindle, whatnot, because for the first book, I didn't order it in time. So I did the ebook version and it's just not the same. I, I like to go back to the pages and you're staring at a screen. And as you said, you're staring at screens all day that it just feels like another screen. And depending on your device, you might have distractions coming in, notifications. And I love turning pages in a book. And that is just not satisfying on an electronic device. And seeing how much more you have left is also something I like to see where you have the percentage and stuff. But it just, I like a physical copy. I've never done an audiobook. And if you have a hardback and you've got the dust jacket and you don't happen to have a good bookmark, there's that moment where you go from using the front of the dust jacket as your bookmark to using the back of it because you've now passed the halfway point. There's a real sort of sense of, hey, I must like this book. We're getting somewhere. That's how you know you're going to make it to the end. That's right. <laughs> I agree with Henry, though. I really enjoy audiobooks. And I haven't read any of our, our book club picks in audiobook format. But sometimes I think I, as a first-year associate, spend a lot of time reading documents and I'm still a print a lot of documents type of reader. And so sometimes I like to switch to an audiobook on a walk or before bed because I'm not always included on all the calls. So I'm uh, <laughs> so I'm reading more than I am listening. And so the audiobooks are sometimes a very nice change for me. Well you can go up to 3.0 speed in Audible. <laughs> so you can really go through content. You probably you probably do that Henry. <laughs> I, I, I usually stick around the 1.8 to 2.2 range, but you know, if the narr- narrator's slow, you can amp that up too. And if you run out at that speed, you can always binge the Law Policy and Markets podcast. Oh, that's true too. <laughs> you would never listen to it on 3.0 speed. <laughs> you can only do 2.0 on Apple Podcasts. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to getting together, I hope in person, soon. But in any event, I look forward to getting together to discuss Ishiguro's book at our next meeting. And thanks very much for sharing today. It's, it's been great. It's been fun. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity Happy to share. Enough. Okay. Thanks, bye, Alan. Bye. bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Law, Policy, and Markets, Millbank Conversations. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and learn more at millbank.com. Mm-hmm.